Today on Talks with God, I talk about our choice to be either a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. Do you want to play for Team Sin or Team Obedience? If you like Talks with God, join our Facebook group. Search Talks with God on Facebook. You will get updates when new podcasts are released. In addition, we will be sharing other podcasts, blogs, devotional stories, and scriptures that can help you in your walk with God. Also, I invite you to subscribe to Talks with God, leave a rating and review, and share this podcast with others. Help us on our journey to bring people closer to Jesus Christ in our Talks with God. And now, Episode 5 of Talks with God, Team Sin versus Team Obedience. On July 4, 1776, the Second Continental Congress declared that 13 American colonies were no longer subject and subordinate to the rule of Great Britain and were united, free, and independent states. The United States was a free country. Well, mostly free. You see, slavery was still legal in the United States until the 13th Amendment was ratified on December 6, 1865. Slavery is not a comfortable subject to talk about. Do you know what else is not comfortable to talk about? Sin. We don't like talking about sin. Well, actually, we don't like talking about our own sin. Some of us love talking about other people's sin. We gossip about other people's sin. We like to read about other people's sin on social media and share it freely. We like to watch news stories about other people's sin. But when it comes to our own sin, we shut down. We are embarrassed by this sin. We must admit that we are at fault. We are afraid others are going to judge us. In Sunday school, we've been studying Romans. I have to warn you that if you are uncomfortable about sin, Romans will probably make you downright sick to your stomach. It doesn't just address sin, it dives into it head on. So today's scripture, I'm going to tackle the topics of slavery and sin in Romans chapter 6. But before entering that scripture, I want to go back to chapter 5. In verses 18 to 21, it says, Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as through this one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so through the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. But law came in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so grace might also reign through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's reread verse 20. But law came in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Okay, so Paul just said that where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So is Paul really saying that the more we sin, the more grace God gives us. Have you ever used Roman 5.20 as an excuse to keep sinning? Well, it's okay to lie a little bit. God's grace will be more abundant. Okay, if I cheat a little bit on my taxes, God's grace will cover me. It says so right there in Romans 5.20. Or if I am greedy, jealous, or have a little too much pride, no problem. It says right here in Romans 5.20, grace will be more abundant. Well, let's go to chapter 6 now. Let's pick it up in verses 1 to 4. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that my grace may increase? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in the newness of life. So if we were baptized into Christ Jesus, then you died to sin. You are dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 11 of Romans 6, it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So you might be thinking, why did I bring up slavery? All I've been talking about was sin. Well, I'm glad you asked. So if we think about slavery in biblical terms, it differs from slavery of the 18th and 19th century United States. In the United States, enslaved people were brought here against their will, and slavery slavery in the U.S. was due to the race of the person. However, back in the first century, a person was enslaved due to the economic conditions. If someone owed another person money and could not fulfill their debt, they would sell themselves into slavery instead. They would now be owned by the person they owed the debt to. If they could make enough to pay the debt in the future, they could buy themselves out of slavery. It didn't matter what race they were. It was all about whether they had enough money. So this brings us to verse 14 of Romans 6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. So there in verse 14, he says again, some may think that they could sin because they are no longer under the law, but Paul quickly disputes this in verse 15. So there we go in verse 16. It says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who are slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become enslaved to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to even more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. This past Tuesday, we celebrated Independence Day. It is the day that we celebrate our freedom. For many of us as Americans, having our freedom is one of the most significant values. We have freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, freedom to pray, freedom to protest peacefully. We sometimes take those freedoms for granted, but they are freedoms that many have fought to protect and will continue to fight for in the future. But if you go back and reread Romans, when it comes to choosing either sin or righteousness, we can never be free. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? We will either be a slave to sin or a slave to obedience. We are bound to one or the other. There are two teams, and you must choose one or the other. Because we are slaves, we don't have the right to sit this one out. If we choose team sin, it leads to death. If we choose team obedience, it leads to righteousness. Sounds like an easy choice, doesn't it? On the surface, yes. But let's look at each of these choices. First, we'll start with team sin. Our captain is the devil, also known as Satan or Lucifer. 
For team obedience, our captain is God, also known as I Am, the Prince of Peace. Team obedience offers love, joy, peace, hope, and salvation. Do you want to play for team obedience? Well, playing for team obedience requires us to submit to God's will. Team obedience requires us to put our trust in God. Matthew 22:36-39 says, "Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest?" He said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself." Jesus commanded us to love. He commanded us to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and with all our mind. That is the first commandment, and the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. To play for team obedience, we must love our neighbor. But who is our neighbor? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus demonstrated that our neighbor is everyone. Do you love the person next to you? What about the person who has different political beliefs than you? What about that person who cuts you off in traffic? What about that person who has caused you harm and you are having a hard time forgiving? Do you love your enemy? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Team obedience requires you to always give thanks, pray without ceasing, and rejoice always. Do you always give thanks? Do you pray without ceasing? Are you always joyful? Now, some of you might be thinking, I may not always be obedient. I don't love everyone. I may not always be joyful. And there are definitely times when I'm not grateful. I can't pray every hour of the day, but I'm still definitely not on team sin. 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So there are three things that John mentions, and only three, that don't come from the Father, but from the world. They are desire of the flesh, desire of the eyes, pride and riches. The King James Version uses the words lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. So team sin offers desires or lust of the flesh, desire or lust of the eyes, and pride and riches. Desires of the flesh are things that we desire for pleasure. It can be anything that makes us feel good. So even though King James Version uses the word lust, I'm not talking just about lustful pleasures. It is anything that Satan tells us that we need to feel good. It can be that extra cookie that we just have to have. It can be that TV show that we must binge. Desires of the eyes are the possessions that we must have. You see someone with the newest phone and you just have to have it. You see someone driving a sports car and you want to drive it too. It's about having something because you see someone else having it. And the last thing that Team Sin offers is pride and riches. The NIV translation says boasting of what someone has or does. It is achieving a certain status or just wanting to be liked by someone else. It is that managerial job that is more important than your family and friends. It is all those likes on Facebook or Instagram. 
It is something that feeds your ego. It is a desire to prove the haters wrong. How many of you at one time or another have had the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, or pride and riches? We all have played for Team Sin at one time or another. With these plays in his playbook, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride and riches, it looks like Team Sin is pretty tough to beat. On January 12, 2020, with 11.59 left in the first quarter, Deshaun Watson threw a touchdown pass to Kenny Stills. With 10.06 left in the first quarter, Lonnie Johnson Jr. blocked a punt and returned 10 yards for a touchdown. By the time the first quarter ended, the Kansas City Chiefs trailed the Houston Texans 21-0 in the AFC Divisional Playoffs. The Chiefs would fall behind 24-0 after the Texans scored a field goal on the next possession. I'm sure many Kansas City Chiefs fans thought the game was over, and there was no hope. Not only were the Chiefs victorious that day, but they also won by 20 points. The final score was 51-31. to They would go on to win the Super Bowl that year. On a dark Friday afternoon about 2,000 years ago, it looked as though Team Sin had also secured a victory. Jesus was nailed to the cross. He was crucified, died, and laid in a tomb. But on the third day, the tomb was empty. Romans chapter 3, 22-25 says, The righteousness of God through the faith of Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. Team sin had been defeated. Romans chapter 3 tells us that we were all justified. Justification is a legal declaration that happens simultaneously. Once you believe you are justified, it is not a gradual process. It is done. God has credited his perfect righteousness to us by the gift of grace. It was not earned. If you are paying attention through the first part of my podcast, you probably would have concluded that the evidence against us would have not earned us one ounce of righteousness. So the only possible way to be justified is by that gift of grace. And this came through Jesus Christ who redeemed us and the process was by him dying on the cross and shedding his blood to atone for our sins. Team sin has been defeated. So you may be thinking, now that team sin has been defeated and I've been saved by grace, is it okay for me to sin? Well, let's go back to verses 1 and 2. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may increase? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Once team sin is defeated in the first round, why let them back in the game? Are we going to let team sin get up by double digits every game? What are your priorities? If you have a hard time thinking about what they are, look at your calendar and bank statement. Your calendar and bank statement are your playbook. They represent your priorities. Is your playbook full of plays for team sin or team obedience? 
Do you know what Team Obedience playbook even looks like? Well, I'm going to break that playbook down into four quarters. The first quarter is prayer. And the best playbook for prayer comes from the Lord's Prayer. There are several different versions out there. This one is called the Slightly Modernized King James Version and is based on Matthew 6, 9-13 with the doxology added at the end. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There are seven critical parts of this prayer. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. The prayer starts in reverence to God our Father, and it is God's name above all names. Thy kingdom come. It is God's kingdom that we should put above all kingdoms. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should ask for God's will always to be the priority. Give us this day our daily bread. We should pray every day and ask God for our provisions. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Not only should we ask for forgiveness of our sins, but we should forgive others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A crucial part of asking for forgiveness of our sins is asking for help that we sin no more. We need God's help in doing that. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are giving God all the praise and the glory. While I don't directly pray the Lord's Prayer daily, I use it to guide my prayer life. I start each day with prayer. It helps me get a big lead over team sin by starting the day with prayer. I give thanks and praise to God and ask that everything I do glorify Him. I ask for forgiveness and for help in not sinning again, and I ask for His will to be done. I think it is essential to start each day with prayer, but to keep that big lead over team sin, we have scripture in our playbook for the second quarter. To defeat team sin, the winning play is to read the Bible, and not just on Sunday morning when the pastor tells you what scripture they are reading from. You should be reading it every day. Team Sin wants you not to read the Bible. They want you to use excuses that you're too busy. But if you have time to read Facebook, Twitter, or your email, or watch TV, YouTube, or TikTok, then you have time to read the Bible. A couple of years ago, our church leaders gave us the following counsel that I want to share with you. Faced with difficult questions, many properly turn to Scripture to find insight and inspiration. Search the Scriptures for the living word that brings life, healing, and hope to all. Embrace and proclaim these liberating truths. What they're saying is Scriptures are the living word that brings life, healing, and hope to all. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. There's probably not a single person that has not gone through some trial in their life. If you're lucky enough to have not had a trial, your time is probably coming. But scripture gives us hope. Jeremiah 29.11 says, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And the most important message of hope is in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we study scripture, it helps us to be able to answer anyone who questions our faith. 1 Peter 3.15-17 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for that hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There are many reasons why we should read and study scripture, but I don't have time to go through every one of them. The other one I want to point out is that without studying scripture and knowing Christ, we don't know how to truly love. Scripture points us to agape, or Christ-like love. 1 John 8, 15-16 says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And in Matthew 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's halftime. Team obedience is in the lead, but Team Sin is working on a game plan. Team obedience must continue to work hard and have a strong game plan for the second half. So our playbook for the third quarter includes worship. Well, what is worship? The dictionary defines it as an act of showing reverence or adoration towards a deity or God. We are worshiping when we are at church on Sunday morning as we sing and offer praise to God. But is Sunday the only time that we worship? Psalm 34, 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. When we worship, we praise God. Verse 2 says, My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. We are humbling ourselves before God and giving him the glory. While the dictionary definition talks about God when it comes to worship, the truth is that we might worship things other than God. It could be money, power, our cell phones, or other people. Are you putting those things first before God? True worship of God puts him first in our lives. When we submit to the will of God above everything else, we truly worship God. And worship doesn't always happen just at church on Sunday mornings. It builds on our first half playbook of prayer and scripture. We can also worship through music or just in silent reflection. How you worship is not important. The important thing is that your focus is on God during worship. And that brings us to the fourth quarter where the game plan in our playbook is forgiveness. So I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 18, starting with verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? In those days, the Pharisees would suggest that you forgive someone twice or maybe three times if you're generous. 
Well, Peter thought he was doing good by more than doubling the most times the Pharisees suggested forgiving someone by suggesting seven times. But what did Jesus tell him? Well, verse 22 says, Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seven times 70. In essence, what is Jesus really telling him? Well, for those who are good at math, seven times 70 is 490. So if you genuinely forgive someone, it will not take you 490 times. So Jesus is really telling Peter to forgive them as many times as necessary. So in verse 23, Jesus then starts a parable that he shares with Peter. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Okay, so let's stop there. How many of you know how much 10,000 talents are? Well, according to one source I looked up online, 10,000 talents is 375 tons of silver. Well, how much is that worth? Well, today that would be worth over $226 million. So this slave owed the king the equivalent of $226 million. So let's continue the story in verse 25. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children, and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of the slave released him and forgave him the debt. Now note, the slave did not ask to be released from his debt. He only asked for patience or more time. But the king did more than give him time. He forgave him his debt. He wiped it completely clean. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Well, 100 denarii were worth about 100 days wages. Based on a median income today, it'd be close to about $16,000, much less than the 226 million that the slave was forgiven. It is about 0.007% of the debt. Verse 29 says, Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. In Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15, these are the two verses right after the Lord's Prayer. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So the debt owed to the slave was insignificant compared to the forgiven debt. Jesus died so that all of humanity's sins would be forgiven. The sins committed against us were so small compared to those that Jesus died for. 
If we cannot forgive other people's sins against us, we are guilty of showing the same lack of mercy that the slave showed in the parable. We must forgive others as Jesus forgave us. Otherwise, team sin will gain a come-from-behind victory. However, if you stick to team obedience's game plan, you will emerge victorious in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.13-14 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Do you want to be in team sin, or do you want to be on team obedience? The choices we make will help us make the winning plays every day.